So, yeah, today we're going to be looking at the nature of the gospel. And I'm just going to hand straight over to Josh, who's going to get us started with the kind of discussion and opening section. I am going to be absolutely the biggest rebel you've ever seen. I'm going to flip the order of the questions, like take a moment to breathe and be surprised. Um, so what do we think, what do we do when making difficult decisions? Can be just like a natural response to hearing some bad news or going into a difficult time coming up, like an exam period or something. What do we do to cope with that? Do something else. <laughs> yeah, I'd say like, a distracting method is sometimes a big one faith is like a bad thing it's like oh well let's distract myself with something else but I'd say also a more practical one would be talking to other people about it close ones getting advice on what to do etc for some people I mean for me it depends on the person is that we go into some form of escapism for um you know, a bit following on what you or you were saying Katie but I guess just um focusing on something else like almost denying that it's if I leave it it's not gonna happen or whatever Basically, any form of procrastination, man. We love procrastination. Avoiding all of life's difficulties just to let future me handle that. Like with me, the way I do it, I go and speak to my mum and dad and ask like, for their advice. Yeah, and then just think about like their advice and my advice. And then mainly like their advice is like, always, oh, like don't do this, but yeah. I still do it anyway, so, yeah. Thought I might jump in again. Um, <laughs> praying about it? I just play my guitar or I play a video game or basically do anything other than concentrate on what I should be doing. I, I also, like, speak to, like, all, like, you guys if I get stuck with something. Like, if I don't know, like, what to do or if I think I'm, like, reacting bad to something and then just get someone else's opinion, like, round my age and see what they do and things like that, if that makes sense. I find, like, talking to friends and stuff really good because it helps me to kind of rationalise the situation rather than, like, overthink it in my head. Yeah, so Ben will cover that later in the second part of the passage, which is interpreting the times. Um, but now I'm going to get to the proper question, the, the real question, the question that all of this was founded on. I had to think of two because I didn't want to just ask this one because I thought this would be too much for you. Pineapple on pizza. Go for it. Share opinions. Oh. Oh, wow. Wait, there's this see? cool thing on my screen. Opinions uh, and polling. you got to poll uh, and you got to say why. I, I, I voted instantly. Right. Four people still haven't voted. Sorry, I'm one of those guys, you know, just that, like, mmm... Gotta be one of those people. There's always one pe people like that. On the fence, huh? You get splinters up your bum. That's what your teachers say. <laughs> Whoa! Can everybody see that? No, we can see that. 50-50, I mean... They pull my 47% of people. 50-50? <laughs> Are you sure, Josh? That, that's looking like something else 53 well, I'm rounding, Ryan. So, yeah, just, just give me it. Why? Why do people like it? What is the reason for liking it? What's the reason for not liking it? Because I personally voted yes. I just don't get fruit being on pizza. Like, that's my issue. It's the texture. It's not like the actual taste. Well, I don't mind sweetness. I just don't like fruit. Like, cooked fruit. I don't like that. That's like saying, like, pepper on a pizza, though. Pepper is technically fruit, and it's crunchy. And peppers, not peppers. Like, what I mean, kind of pineapple are you putting on pizza? <laughs> <laughs> it's I, I, I mean, the I, Scottish I, pineapple. <laughs> oh no! 
I mean, um, and the question: What do you do have with gammon? Because oh. pineapple can go really well with with, with savory stuff. So why not on pizza? You're literally when you think about it, putting tomato with pineapple. That just seems so wrong. I don't know because they're both fruit, so therefore they're in fruit category. But is tomato a fruit or a vegetable? That's a really? Tomato thing. is a fruit. Search it up. It's a fruit. It's a fruit. It's a savory. See, no, I completely different. I completely disagree with all of you there. It actually is a fruit, though. I know that it look, tastes like a vegetable. Google it. If you Google it, it's a fruit. <laughs> ben, he'll know. Ben knows everything. Ben, what did you oh. choose? Um, I I would say that yes, pineapple does go on pizza, and yes, a tomato is a fruit. His mum makes some amazing sweet and savory meals. So if you need converting, eat Sharon's food. Sweet and sour What's chicken that? from the Chinese, perfect example. Can't go wrong. <laughs> um, I personally said no because I'm really sorry, Pooh, I guess, because I haven't had it in a while. I think there's a lot of better pizza options than like pineapple and pizza. I don't know. Like people who love pineapple pizza, do you always get that or do you just not mind it? No, no, no actually. Right. You've got to be in the mood for it, I find. What mood would you be in, though? Like, mm, a pineapple. <laughs> no, there's like places where you go and you know that getting a, like a Hawaiian is the best option. Like if you go to the Asda Deli for the pizzas, that is the best place you can ever go for a pizza. Deep pan Hawaiian with ham and pineapple. Thick chunks of ham, nice bits of pineapple. It's literally, you have to get that. For Italian restaurant, you have to get something like with olives or something. Olives also another. <laughs> Acquired. I voting no because I I was in the middle like yes I know I prefer like mainly like you know all like the meat pizzas but if it gets offered to me I'll eat it because yeah it's agree food, like, yeah. Food, so it's like if and if I was at a Hawaiian party oh, I'll yeah. probably have some I think that's the only time though <laughs> but there's a new trend guess, now where they're putting kiwi on pizza um, what was that new trend Aaron what on pizza. Kiwi. Kiwi. Hmm. Yeah, people are starting to put kiwi on pizza. So I seen this post on Instagram and it was like, oh, uh, pineapple and non-pineapple people, it's time to unite against the people who put kiwi on pizza. I don't agree with kiwi on pizza. I think that's discriminatory because if you're allowing one fruit, why, why not kiwi? Like, you know what I mean? Like, you might as well let all of them in, you know what I mean? Quality. But there's already tomato, you, which is apparently tried- a fruit. Are you saying banana on pizza, Ramon? <laughs> I just believe in equality. So if we're letting one, why not all of them? You know what I mean? Doesn't mean I'll eat it. I mean, Katie, I mean... if you give me kiwi on pizza, I'll, I'll eat it and I'll throw the rest in the bin. But other than that, I'll take it. Whatever floats your boat, you know. So, yeah, I think I've basically taken up all my time there with you guys arguing. But, yeah, that's me and Ben were saying this is literally the perfect analogy because you don't get many people who sit on the fence when it comes to pineapple on pizza. You either like it or you don't. It's like, and that's why it comes to the gospel being being divisive, which we're, which Ben is going to look at now. We see that Jesus doesn't, hasn't made it so that you can believe in him in half measures. He's either like, you're all in believing that I died and rose again, or you're all out believing that I am not the son of God, which Ben is going to go now. Enjoy, bud. Thank you for my time. 
Right. So yeah, basically, we basically just had a 15 minute discussion about pineapple being on pizza and how it's one of possibly the most divisive things, how people don't generally sit on the fence. They're always one way or the other. And that leads us nicely into the topic for this evening, which is the divisive nature of the gospel. And the reading for today is taken from Luke 12, 49 to 13, 5. So if anyone would love to read that, uh, that'd be great. Uh, so that was Luke 12, 49 to 13, 5. Yep. Awesome, Elliot. That'd be great. Not peace, but division. I have come to bring fire on the earth and I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. When you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth from the sky. How is it that you don't know how in, to interpret this present time? Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled to him on the way. Or, be, or he may drag you off to the judge, and the judge will turn you over to the officer. The officer will throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Repent or perish. Now there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. Unless you repent, you will too all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. Unless you repent, you too will perish. Thank you, Elliot. So, as I said, we're looking at the gospel. And to understand the gospel, we must grasp several key things about it. And that's what I'm going to break down this evening. We're going to go through it and we're going to break it down for what it means. And by understanding what it means and what it means for us, that is how we will get to the bottom of why the gospel is divisive and why it must be divisive. So the first thing to understand is looking at why Jesus even came to earth in the first place. Why would God send his son to earth to die for us? The truth is that we were lost. Humanity was in desperate need of a savior and Jesus came to live on earth perfectly, then die as a sacrifice for our sins. He did what we can never achieve because we are flawed, but Jesus was perfect. Take an example from John 1, 29. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This use of the lamb anticipates Jesus's death as a sacrifice for our sins. It anticipates his death during Passover week when the Passover lamb is slaughtered to atone for the sins of the people. And this reminds us of the very first Passover during the Exodus in Egypt when God delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt. And yet again, we see through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, God delivers his people out of slavery. But this slavery is not to the Egyptians. It's not to mankind. This is slavery to sin. Romans 6, 6 reads, because of this, our own crucifixion and resurrection with Jesus, we are no longer slaves to sin. You see, because of Jesus, 
we have been freed from the chains of sin that held us before without the gospel we were slaves and we can see that is why jesus came to earth he came to free us to liberate us and then moving on what did he come to do other than live a perfect life die and be resurrected so that we can be sanctified and justified with him in the sight of god the father what else did he come to do and that's what we can clearly see in this passage here luke 12 49 to 53 the first kind of three verses of this clearly show things that jesus came to do the first one he came to cast fire on earth this imagery of fire again links back to earlier teaching earlier talk about jesus matthew 3 11 where john the baptist is prophesying about the messiah so matthew 3 11 john is saying he will baptize you with the holy spirit and fire this holy spirit and fire this is the spirit of god this is the promise god's promise throughout the entire bible to his people is the holy spirit it's all the way through you can see that this is the promise and that is what jesus came to fulfill Someone else I want to pick up on here is that there is only one Messiah and no one else is comparable to Jesus. You know, we can see that even John, lots of people thought that John was the Messiah. You know, he was one of the first people in uh, after 400 years of silence from God, where the Israelites had heard nothing. Out comes John the Baptist and they they're going to think, OK, maybe this guy's the Messiah. Yet John was not the Messiah because there is only one true Messiah, and that is Jesus. Yet no one else compares to Jesus, period. He is the greatest man to ever walk the earth. And then looking back at this, you know, Jesus, he came to cast fire on the earth. And what is this fire? You know, we often think of fire as a destructive force, as a force to be feared. You know, something that just destroys with no regard to life. But actually, the type of fire that Jesus is referring to is a type of fire that refines, that purifies, as seen in Malachi chapter three. This fire will prepare God's people. It will prepare the church for the day that Jesus himself returns. You know, looking at again at Matthew three, the following verse from when John is saying that Jesus, the Messiah, is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. It reads on to say he that is the messiah will gather his wheat into the barn but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire and this is where i want to see two parallels look at the tender care and love for the wheat the way that he gathers the wheat into the barn there's this great sense of belonging that we get from being a part of god's people a part of god's family you know we are adopted into sonship into daughtership in god's family and the other side is that there's this righteous anger of the one true god the creator of all things who is perfect and who abhors sin. There is this righteous anger because sin deserves punishment. You know, Romans, for the wages of sin is death. So that's the first thing. We can see that Jesus came to bring fire on earth. And then moving on, we can see in verse 50, Jesus is talking about a baptism. And you might be thinking, hang on, hasn't Jesus already been baptized? We saw him get baptized in the river by John back in chapter three. And, you know, God spoke from heaven. He was like, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. So why does Jesus need to get baptized again? And we can see that Jesus, he's going to this baptism, this second baptism willingly. And this baptism is his death and resurrection. You know, Jesus is going to allow himself willingly to be handed over to the Roman authorities to die. We've got to remember that Jesus was totally undeserving of death he was the only perfect son of god so we might ask ourselves why would jesus have to go to this baptism 
Why would he have to go through all of this? And the purpose of this was to destroy Satan's forces by rising from the dead and to pour out the Holy Spirit, the promise on all who follow him. And this is where the choice comes in. As I spoke about those parallels of the wheat being gathered lovingly into the barn or the righteous anger of the one true creator, God, this is where the choice. Do we either partner with God against a world ruined by Satan or not? There's no in between. There's no fence setting. We have a choice. We are either with God or we're against him. It is polarizing. And that's what Jesus continues to talk about here at the end of this passage. Luke 12, 52 and 53, he's talking about how it's going to divide households. It says, you know, in one house, there'll be five divided, three against two and two against three. Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Jesus comes to bring division because this choice is polarizing. And this idea of polarization is not new. It's referenced in Micah chapter seven, verses five to six, where he's talking about houses turning against each other. And it's seen also not just in the Old Testament, but throughout the gospel. John chapter seven, verse 43, the people were divided because of Jesus. We must expect the gospel to divide people. You know, Jesus is telling us he has not come to bring peace. He's come to bring division. We must expect this to divide. And if the gospel is not bringing division, then are we really preaching the gospel? And, you know, you can clearly see here Jesus's words. Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. People will be divided. This is a reference, you know, back to Malachi. People will be refined and purified and divided from one another. And this whole passage, right the way through from the start of Luke 12, all the way through to midway through chapter 13, it's all one continual thing. Though in, in your Bible right now, you're probably looking, you're thinking, but it's broken up into about five or six different sections. It's got chapters in between it. It's got different paragraphing. That's split like thematically. This is Jesus talking. This is one long conversation from Jesus. And that's why it's so important to take these next couple of passages in one context. So we can see here, we know that Jesus, why Jesus came to earth. We know that what he came to do and what he did, what he achieved as he lived, died and was raised again. And we can see here interpreting the time that Jesus will be coming back again. That's what it's all about. I mean, just a couple of examples. 1 Thessalonians 4.16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven. Acts chapter 1.11, this Jesus who was taken up into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go. Matthew 16, 27, the son of man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his father. We're told countless times that Jesus will come back and Jesus is checking that we can see this. You know, he's talking about a cloud here. He's talking about the weather. And, you know, we are pretty good at predicting the weather nowadays. You know, we've got fancy meteorological stations that can track different things and kind of gauge what's going on. But back here, first century B.C., Jesus gives two main indicators that they would have used. These would have been common things. The location of Galilee is located to the east of the Mediterranean. So that's why Jesus says, when you guys see a cloud rising in the west, you know that it's going to rain. Why is that? Because the clouds are coming from over the Mediterranean. That means they're very moist clouds. So they're going to rain when they pass in land over the hills. And this south wind that he's talking about, Israel is located north of a desert. So this south wind, this wind from the desert, a Sirocco, would bring great heat to the land. And people would know this. 
And it's important to acknowledge, again, you know, people knew how to read these signs. And it's essential that we do not miss Jesus. We do not miss the only son of God in the same way that the people, that the crowds missed it. The Pharisees did not acknowledge Jesus as the son of God. And Jesus is saying to them here, you hypocrites, you can interpret the weather, you can interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but how can you not see that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament? You know, all 929 chapters of the Old Testament are fulfilled in Jesus. That's what he's saying. And, you know, the timing is very important because Judgment Day will come eventually. We don't know when. And that's what I want to focus on. Timing is essential. You know, the weather is predictable. We can predict whether it's going to rain in an hour or two hours or whatever. But no one knows when Jesus will come back. Literally no one. You know, we can see from Mark chapter 13, 32 to 37. It's a very good passage for looking at this. You know, there there is no one who knows when Jesus will return. And it, this this passage in Mark is titled No One Knows That Day or Hour. And I just want to read a little bit for, uh, from that for you. So this is Jesus speaking, verse 32. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. You know, this is Jesus's words. If Jesus, the son of God, did not know when his date of return would be when he was on earth, it sure is not our place to know. No one does. And that's why I want to pick up on, you know, don't get fixated on an end date. We can actually see in the passage just before Luke 12, 49, it's talking about watchfulness. It's talking about being ready. And, you know, there's I'd recommend you give it a read after this, where it talks about, you know, you must be ready. It's talking basically about a man. He goes away and he tells his servants to watch the house and they don't know when he's going to come back, but they just need to watch the house. And that's what we need to do. It's all about being watchful. We must live for Christ every single day. You know, moving on again, this this last bit of Luke 12, settle with your accuser. Jesus uses the parallels of the current legal system in in the time that he's around first century yeah he's basically saying look you don't wait until the courtroom before trying to work out a settlement with your accuser you know we know that ultimately all will be judged and what i want to talk about here is the final verse of luke 12 luke 12 59 i tell you you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny now, jesus is talking about a prison here and you know we are all sinners we all deserve to be judged and the punishment for sin is death, Romans 6.23. You know, there is the price. And how can we ever pay this price? We are debtors in need of a savior. Like I said at the start of this session, you know, that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to save us because we could not do it ourselves. There is no other way to salvation other than Jesus. We can't pay this price, but Jesus can and Jesus did. And Jesus paid that price for everyone who walks this earth, who everyone who has walked this earth and everyone who will ever walk this earth. The, the price has been paid. We just need to accept that free gift. And, you know, I want to pick up on something that Josh said last week. Last week, Josh spoke about how he had a vision of a prison being in a cell and there's kind of chains and they're broken. They're all off and the doors open. And that's what I want to focus on now. Imagine that you are in a cell right now. You are chained hand and foot and the door is locked. The chains around your hands and your feet are sin. They are binding you down. You can't do anything to break them. Yet Jesus's death and resurrection shattered those chains and opened the door wide. And this is where the choice comes in. Do you sit in the cell 
in the comfort of what you know with everyone else who is sitting in that cell? Or do you walk out into the freedom that God gives us through the death and resurrection of his son? You can't do both. How can you be inside the cell and outside the cell at the same time? This is the choice. You know, how can one say that you live in freedom if you're still in the cell? You know, salvation is a free gift. And, well, you know, why is salvation important? That's what we've got to look at. The next bit, Luke chapter 13. There's two events in Luke chapter 13 that Jesus is talking about. He's almost talking about news flashes, if you will. The first event that he's talking about is Pilate massacring some Galileans. Pilate was known for his history of violence, and this would have not have been uncommon. And then the second event that he's talking about is some people killed by a falling tower. But look, we can clearly see that Jesus is not saying that these people were guiltier than the others. He's not saying that, you know, these people were worse Galileans than the Galileans that weren't murdered by Pilate. He's not saying that, you know, he's clearly saying that we mustn't treat these stories as acts of individual judgment. We must just treat it as a sign that God's judgment is eventually coming one day. We don't know when, but we are called to be ready. And that's the thing. The gospel must be divisive. Like I said, with the analogy of the cell, you can't be inside the cell and outside the cell at the same time. You've got to be one end or the other. There can be no in between. There can be no middle ground. You're either for Christ or against him. You're either living daily for God or you're not. And to wrap this up, I just want to finish with a well-known passage. John 3.16. If you've been to church since Sunday school, I can almost guarantee you know this verse like the back of your hand. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Exactly. It's so well-known. But I feel like it's essential to not miss the message. God sent his only son to earth to die for us a group of unworthy sinners and john 3 16 it's well known but actually john 3 16 to 18 it clearly shows three things and that's what i'm going to break down briefly as we wrap up verse 16 god gave us a provision a way to escape the condemnation that will one day come god sent us his son that is his provision out of his grace out of his love for us he gave us his son to die for us. Okay, here we go. John 3, 17 and 18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Verse 17. Why did Jesus come? He didn't come to condemn the world because verse 18, the world is already condemned and Jesus is the only way to salvation like i was talking about there's no other way to salvation other than jesus jesus has already done it we just need to accept him into our lives man always wants to play god like josh was talking about you know this idea of greed if we have greedy hearts we're focused on ourselves we want to put ourselves you want to elevate ourselves we want to say wow look at what i've achieved but the truth is we could never achieve it and we don't need to because Jesus has achieved it anyway. He died on the cross. He, he was resurrected after three days so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could enter into a relationship with God. And there is no other way to that other than Jesus. And that is 
That is how it works. That is why the gospel is so polarizing. That is why it has to be polarizing. You either accept the free gift of Jesus's blood shed for you on the cross and live for God daily, or you don't. You either walk out that cell into the freedom and goodness of the life, the eternal life promised to us by God, or you stay in that cell. There's no in between. And that is why the gospel is so divisive. And that's going to be all from me. And I'm now going to hand over to Josh to wrap up. And then we're going to break up into some small groups after Josh. Yeah. So thank you, Ben. That was amazing. I love that. That was great. I want to kind of share another view on this first kind of few verses. So I have come to bring fire to the earth and how I wish it were already kindled, but I have a baptism to undergo and what constraint am I am under until it is completed. See, like, if you're looking at film, metaphors, passion and fire, they're usually somewhat, somewhat connected. But like, when God sent Jesus, he sent, like, we sing sometimes in songs, set a fire down in my soul, the one that I can't contain, that I can't control. We long for more of God. Like, as Ben's, I think, was it yours, Ben, the, the youth group that's doing it, that did a, a service, like, it's called Ignite. The same, this, it's the same name of my youth group. We call our services Ignite. And like, the reason is because the strapline was originally Ignite, setting a fire for Jesus in young people's lives. See, Jesus' fire that came down isn't like a purging all the people that are bad fire. It's setting a passion for Jesus. When you put a candle in a room, it lights up the room. If you take a light room and put a tiny bit of darkness in it, what happens? The darkness gets lit up. A town on a hill cannot be hidden. Like, we cannot put out, we cannot take away light. Jesus has set this fire on earth. We, like, I always imagine when I'm leaving Spring Harvest, a vision of just like thousands of little sparks is in tightly packed in one place creating a fire. And then they all disperse back to where they live. And then those fires go into the local communities and then they continue to grow. See, God has done that. God sent Jesus to set a passion for him in our lives. And as this passion continues to grow, we see this kind of this overwhelming fire take over our lives where we just continue to try to see Jesus in as many places as possible. And that leads into interpreting the times. The closer we are with Jesus, the more intense we are in our relationship the more that we have a fire set for him in our lives the better we become at interpreting the times the more our hearts are set for god the more our lives are longing for a better connection with people like why don't we judge for ourselves what is right because sometimes we don't know because we're not god we're never going to have all of the answers but the more that we can continue to let ourselves be set on fire by that passion for jesus like the more we continue to long for a relationship, the more we go to God and say, you know what, I'm not God, you are. Just give me more of your wisdom. Solomon was, he's the second most wise person in the Bible bar Jesus and God, because Jesus and God kind of the same person. But yes, yeah, Solomon, he's one of the wisest people we've ever seen. What does he do? He prays for more wisdom because he knows that he's never going to be enough. We're never going to be enough. We're continuing to try to live up to what God has set such a high standard for us we're continuing to long for a relationship with jesus and when we do that the more our fire builds the more we see that god is working in our lives the more we look around and we see god in our lives because even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death your perfect love casts out all fear 
I always go back to this verse somehow when I'm talking because it's probably one of the verses that's just like drilled into my brain. But we continue to see, even when we go through dark times, God doesn't mean that our that the valley is completely dark because God is lit up with his fire and our passion for him that's continuing to drive us to want to come out the other side. 